Welcome back to the Money Markets and Macro Podcast, brought to you by Atticus Capital. You can find us at oneatticus.com. I'm your host, Liam Hennessy. Today, we don't have much on the market side to go through. We've had a relatively muted last couple of weeks related to the indexes. Obviously, there are some outliers within the certain industries and sectors that have been performing relatively well, such as names like uh, Baidu, Baba, uh, NVIDIA, Tesla. Some of these names have been doing rather well over the short term. But as we will see in the indexes, the aura of positive returns may be soon coming to an end. There was in fact, a, I believe it was a BlackRock senior analyst who mentioned the term Nirvana when discussing the state of the economy. And that's not too much of a core critical component of today's podcast, but I just found it rather interesting. He mentioned something that disinflation mixed with low unemployment was a state of nirvana and i found that rather fascinating an interesting take on the state of the economy the current affairs Um, maybe (laughs) he's correct and maybe it is a state of nirvana or maybe that's just some short-sightedness and not really looking at the long-term picture as we will do today in the second half of today's podcast as it relates more importantly and more closely to the European economic zone. But let's do what we always do and take a quick look at the markets. Like I mentioned early, this won't take too much of our time simply because, as I've mentioned in the last two, three episodes, We're still waiting for our patterns to confirm. So looking at the S&P trading at 4,079, that was the close on Friday afternoon. I am recording this podcast on the 19th of February, 2023. The S&P looks like we've seen two weeks of declining trend now if you are going to be a sort of a specifist or whatever term you would like to use, this could be, in theory, if we're using candlestick analysis or we're using candle analysis with wick analysis, that's just a smaller segment of technical analysis. But together, we're seeing a prior bullish trend with two weekly candles of decline Typically, what you will see as trend confirms is you see two inverted candles and then a resumptive candle on the third following the two prior. So very possible we see this week coming up a bullish rally in the S&P. And this is also likely going to bleed into the rest of the market. So potentially the week of the 20th, we will see a bullish week just just merely my happenstance of 
candlestick patterns. This week, we do have a lot of information coming out. We've got somewhere around four to 600 companies reporting earnings. We've got CPI. We've got a bunch of data coming out this week that we will cover at the end of this week. Potentially, we will do a Thursday special report. I'm still deciding what it is that I'd like to cover. There's a increasing discussion on CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, and their role and some of the misconceptions on what a CBDC is that I would like to get into just so we can square away some of the misinterpretations of what CBDCs truly are. And this is something that George Gammon has recently covered as well. I, I found his explanation rather profound, and I would like to simply echo that analysis of his, but we will get to that point as it arrives. So that's where we are for the S&P. Taking a quick look at the NASDAQ here, trading at 12,358, same type of pattern here. We're seeing a short-term bullish trend with two candles of reverse trend that aren't too substantial yet, so potentially we see a continuation. Same sort of trend that we're seeing again, as I always mentioned, to a much deeper degree. Obviously, the NASDAQ trades more volatile than the S&P 500. <laughs> so we'll see, we'll say the support levels overall are going to be around 10,675. Resistance in the short term is going to be within 13,500 to around 14,400. Or that would be resistance, yep. Excuse me. So that is the case for NASDAQ. Dow Jones, as I love to mention all the time, is it it's not trading very far off of the all-time highs. It's only down 8.6%, but we have been trading here for quite some time. As I mentioned in the last two, three podcasts, we're still trading in that pennant pattern. We're getting very close to the completion of that pattern, so we will see whether or not I gave it, I believe last week, about two, three more weeks before we see a deciding trend. So that gives us maybe about two weeks left to see. Maybe that might extend a little further. It's always possible that trends can be wrong and the market can trade flat for a period of time until some sort of real event changes the direction. And this is the Dow Jones, and there's a lot more industrial names and a lot more stable value dividend paying names that have much stronger balance sheets and have a lot more cash on hand, and they're able to withstand a little worse economic downturn than some of the other companies that typically you'll see in a NASDAQ and a Russell. So we're still waiting for the Dow Jones. <clears throat> Speaking of the Russell, trading at Make sure I have my numbers correct here. 1,950, same type of pattern that we're seeing. It's trading very closely to a double top here between August of 2022 and obviously this current period of early to mid-February of 23. That's typically this type of pattern going to indicate a 
bearish signal. Although if you do look at the chart, you can try to invert the chart and it might give you a little better picture. It does look like there is a head and shoulders, a bullish head and shoulders forming, but again, we really need more context because that head and shoulders pattern can easily be a false signal that is at the moment signaling or could result in a failed head and shoulders or that would be a failed inverted head and shoulders, meaning the forward looking progression for the Russell index. This is the Russell 2000 would be bearish and our support levels as defined by 2018 and again in 2019 and 20 is going to be between 1650 and right around 1750. So that's going to be a big key level of support where resistance, at least in the short term, is going to be somewhere around that 2000 level. And then if we get above really 2100, the real resistant range is going to be between 2155 and 2340. But again, that's relatively far away. And we will likely see progression towards these sort of ranges prior to them getting there, simply because the resistance range, the serious resistance range is 10 and a half, maybe 11% above where current prices are. And the support is relatively far, it's about 13% below where we are currently. So we'll keep an eye on the Russell as we're keeping an eye on everything. And very interesting here on natural gas, continuing its decline, trading at $2.27, down even further from where we left off in the prior week, where I believe in the prior week we were trading around somewhere two dollars and forty cents maybe two dollars and forty five cents and now we're at 227 this is the let me go back and see this is the lowest level for natural gas since thursday the 24th of 2020 so very big decline in natural gas i mean if you're taking a look at this chart it is very significant let me just this simply this one move in and of itself started on the 15th of December where natural gas was trading at $7.15. It is now down 68% since December. Very interesting in natural gas. And there are some components to that that we will cover today when we're discussing the German economy. Quickly looking at oil, trading at 76.55. Interesting head and shoulders pattern showing here. Not too extreme, not too significant. If we do see it break, we would like to see, at least I would like to see, oil get below $72.50. And then more importantly, get below the recent lows of $70. So if oil can get under $70, it's very possible we see a continuation all the way down to $61.75 is the next key level of demand. Very interesting. But again, 
with technical patterns, head and shoulders can always fail and indicate the reversal. So we will see, but it does seem at least in our current picture that weakness for oil is going to continue until it doesn't. And that's simply the only way you can really look at it. Silver trading at 2175 below our 22 level, but again, there was a lower wick and then a resumption trade. So it's very possible silver rebounds here, but again, it could continue to fall. We do have some levels of support around 20, but again, the most important levels for, for silver are $18. So very possible over the next few months, we can see silver continue to trade lower into that 18 range. And then maybe if there aren't buyers until then, that's where we'll start to see them. Gold here, trading off of the trend line at 1850.2. Just fixing a chart here or fixing a little pattern here. Again, this is sort of where we expected gold to stop. So I'm looking for gold to see a bounce. If we don't see a bounce in gold over the next week or so, it's very possible we're going to see continued selling in the precious metals. That may be some individual selling for tax purposes. There's all of this also we have to consider. That's sort of that March effect that we discussed in December. The overspending in the months prior to the holidays and then a reduction in spending and consumption and then mix that in with all of the other economic factors tied together and you can see a fairly significant March effect not only in stocks but you can see that occur in commodities and well all over the market in reality okay so let's wrap that up and get to Something I found relatively interesting when I was looking over the German Bund rates, and we won't spend too much time analyzing specifically the German bond market, but I was looking at the, where I was compiling the data for the German bonds and noticed that the rates on the one year German Bund have been skyrocketing over the last about well, four or five months. And you know, we've seen that occur in the United States, but in Germany, it's a much different bond market. It's more stable. It's not as volatile. It's not as crazy, I guess you could say, in simplistic terms as the US treasury market. So it's very, very odd when you see inversions of this kind. We have the 10-year, if I'm looking at this correctly, I'll make sure I have to highlight this because I am working on Excel, so all the data is in here. That's the M. The 10-year here on German bonds is trading at 307. And that's the rate on German or 10-year German bonds. And the rate on a one-year is 3.34. So simply even over just the past year or so since the start of 22, the one year German Bund 
was at the start of 2022 trading at negative or not trading, but yielding negative 0.36. And from that point over this one year period of time, it has skyrocketed over 360 basis points. It be the yielding 3.34 at the current state. And I think we kind of understand why a lot of this is happening. First, the end of the COVID era, the economic, well, I wouldn't say recovery, but in some sense, recovery sort of out of the depths of that and into a new phase. Then we also have the supply shock saga that has been continuing. Add into that the war that broke out in February. And then, very importantly, the Chinese reopening trade, which we've covered before, but many, many economists have been saying, yeah, this is exactly, I mean, we covered this maybe two or three episodes ago with the Royal Caribbean CEO on CNBC discussing they won't likely see a real reopening recovery trade in China until 2024. But that's important for Germany because China is German Germany's largest trading partner, the U.S. a close second. And so I have some information here that we just want to go through just to report what is occurring in the German economy. We're seeing... The bond market in Germany going awry, which it's not supposed to do. You would expect to see this type of inversion activity a lot more often in markets such as the treasury market in the United States. It's a more actively traded debt market and has a little bit more of a global reach. So it has more sensitivity to global factors and the role of the U.S. domestic economy and investors. There's a lot. There's a lot of difference between the U.S. and German bond markets, but you would clearly, obviously, expect to see some symbiosis between them two. There are integrated economies, and therefore there are integrated investors. The same investors in the U.S. are in Germany, and vice versa. So you would see some resemblance, but to this degree, is it's relatively interesting and potentially rather concerning. So let's start out here with simply German GDP. This was the press release for January 30th, 2023. The fourth quarter of 22 GDP is down 0.2% from the previous quarter. That's prices. These are seasonally adjusted. We have half a percent on the same quarter from a year earlier. The GDP fell by 0.2% in the fourth quarter of 2022. And let's scroll down here. The, it says here, the Federal Statistics Office also reports that price-adjusted GDP rose by 1.8% in 2022. Economic growth was 1.9% after adjustment for price and calendar effects. So this is a downward revision of the original result by simply one or 0.1 percentage points. And they have a graph here for GDP. This is price adjusted on a 2015 basis. And what we're seeing here is that German GDP 
barely recovered to 2019-2020 levels and is starting to roll over again. And we'll see this more specifically in the trade data. So we have domestic product in the fourth quarter was price adjusted for half a percent and calendar adjusted for 1.1% from the fourth quarter of 2021. So there was some growth between 21 and 22, but 1.1% price adjusted of half a percent. This obviously includes the CPI, producer prices, so on and so forth around Europe. A lot of that has to do with energy prices, as we'll see from the import and export data, which we will go to here. There are some figures here about the unadjusted figures and some of the uh, notional value of German GDP, which has been relatively stable. But more importantly here, I want to get to two other tabs that have been explaining a little more of what's occurring in the German economy. So we'll start here with the German export surplus. And this is the press release. Uh, this was posted on, let me see if I can get the dates correct here, February 16th. So this was posted only about three days ago. And the title is here, German export surplus in 2022 at its lowest level since 2000. This is, you know, 22 years, the lowest level. So let's go through some of the key notes. It says the foreign trade balance <clears throat> more than halved compared to 2021. This is for Germany. Remember, China remains Germany's most important trading partner. The United Kingdom falls to 11th place. The largest trade deficit with China since the beginning of the time series in 1950. Very significant there. Then it says here, the United States remains the most important buyer of German exports. So we'll go through this fairly, fairly short press release. There's some key elements here that I'd like to describe, but the, the chart here is, is very significant. I mean, we can even go back to 2020. Quickly to note, the trade balance in 2020 was $180 billion. In 2021, $175 billion. But in 2022, it's only 79 billion. So a huge fall in the foreign trade balance in Germany. Again, they do make note of a lot of the reasons for this. So let's get through some of the important elements that I've highlighted here. It says the imports of energy more than halved from, this is 2021, at a 175 billion euros to 79 billion euros in foreign trade with the uh, People's Republic of China, which slipped from 2022 to second place. Sorry, the, the Germans have a very odd way of typing this out. It may have just been the translator, but it says 2022 second. So <laughs> very odd here. So it says here that China slipped to the second place among the most important customer countries for the German exports. And then Germany recorded the largest trade deficit since the beginning of time series in 1950. 
uh, some explanations to that. But it's very interesting to note here that they mentioned that China has fallen to the second place among the most important customers to countries for German exports. Now, that's important because you would expect if the whole China reopening trade, which they have been reopening for about three months now, you would have seen that show up, at least in part, in the German data for the very, very end of 2022, but it simply did not happen. So that maybe gives you a little insight to what's truly occurring in China, but we're not going to be discussing the Chinese economy today. But I use this information because we do know the obvious large role and large share of trade that China partakes in for German product. So let's get into it a little more here. Well, and this is important to note, the differences here. So it says China remains the most important trading partner, the trade deficit of 84.3 billion euros. That's fairly large here. While the value of goods imported from China increased by 33% year on year to 6.2 billion euros, reaching a new high, the value of goods exported rose by only 3.1% to 106.8 billion. This results in a record trade deficit, and as we mentioned, of 84 billion euros, with foreign trade turnover of nearly 300 billions to 97.9. China was Germany's most important trading partner for the seventh year in a row. The United States followed far behind in second and third place with a turnover of, turnover of 247. That is up 27 and a half compared to 2021. And the Netherlands with 233. And there's a lot of energy trade between Germany and the Netherlands. And I believe following the Nord Stream incident, we'll see the Netherlands trade expand. But it is interesting to note that U.S. trade turnover increased by nearly 30% on a year-over-year basis. It mentions here the U.S. is the most important buyer of German exports as it has been since 2015. It says that year-over-year exports to the U.S. grew by 27, nearly 28%. And then the imports from the U.S. amounted to 91 billion, so exports were 156, imports were 91, which was nearly 27% more than in 2021. So Germany has a substantial trade surplus with the United States. And then it mentions the UK, not so much the important element here, but we can just say that the UK was the 11th trading partner, so it continues to slip the Foreign trade turnover is around 111 billion, up about 14% from 2021. And a lot of that they mention here year after Brexit or years after Brexit. Um, and some of the derailment that that Brexit has caused between Germany and the UK, where the UK at the time of Brexit was the fifth largest trading partner with Germany and has fallen almost to 10th to 11th place since then. So that was around 2017. A lot of different elements to there, to that specific point with the UK and Germany. There are a couple of elements here. It says computer equipment, electrical and optical products. Those are the main imports for Germany. 
These are trade goods that value around 150 billion, up around 14%. Chemical products, about 2.2, 2.1 billion here. And these are some of the most important goods. And then oil and natural gas was in third place of around 6.1 billion. So the last little section we have here is the exports with Russia, because I believe this gives us a better indication of why the trade balance is in such shambles. And it also gives us a little more insight to the state of the German yield curve. We're attempting to look at all of these different variables when assessing an economy. And obviously we can't do that. In one podcast, we're looking at simply some trade data, some GDP data, and some bond data, some yield data from the country. But we can try to garner a little bit of insight to what may it be that investors are looking at in the German economy. Obviously, we're seeing German rates at the long end. Well, they rose a little bit, and now they're falling. They rose into sort of Q3 of 2022 at the long end, so maybe 10 to 30 years, and now they're falling into the first quarter of 2023, whereas simultaneously, while the long end has risen and began to fall, the short end of the German bond market, so the one year right around to the maybe 5, 8, we're looking at K here, sorry, I don't have these labeled correctly. get XL to work. So from the one year to the five year, let's just say that we're seeing these rates continuously increase. So that tells you that there's increasing uncertainty over the long term for the German economy, the risks continue to mount, and therefore hedging continues to grow. So let's read this last little bit here from Russia. And I think we can all, we all expected this to occur. We knew the sanction packages, which there are 10 now, and the Nord Stream incidents. I think we understand exactly what's going on here. So let's just read this last one here and wrap it up. The press release, this is from February 10th, titled Exports to Russia in 2022, fell 45.2%. The value of goods imported from Russia was up 6.5%, but the volume was down 41.5%. Now, this is very important as well. It's important to note that you can make the distinction between the value of the goods, but the volume is also a different metric. The value went up, the volume went down. That's a double whammy, you could say. Import surplus in trade with Russia at new highs in 2022 due to sanctions and simultaneously high energy prices. German export machinery and motor vehicles to Ukraine, they mentioned about one and a half billion, 1.3. So, in a little more detail here, the Federal Statistic Office reported German exports of goods to Russia fell by 45% to two 0.1 billion compared with, I, they mentioned six, doesn't give us any more details there. 
The ranking for the most important customer countries for German exports, Russia fell from 15 to 23 compared to the previous year. So a very significant drop. Russia was still an important energy supplier for Germany due to the sharp rise in energy import prices. German imports from Russia rose by 6% in value terms to 5.35 billion. However, the volume of goods imported by Russia fell by goods imported from Russia fell by 41.5%, and therefore Russia fell from 12th to 14th place in the most important suppliers of goods. The lack of energy imports from Russia was partially offset by deliveries from other Eastern European countries. They mentioned here Kazakhstan. And I know Norway is another element to this, but again, there's some animosity, I believe, sort of fostering and formulating an under the surface following the Nord Stream report, which if you haven't heard or read, I would suggest going and reading it. Due to the high prices for energy imports, they mentioned the sanctions here. The German foreign trade with Russia recorded the highest import surplus since 1992. Rather interesting. The foreign trade balance was right around 20 billion euros in 21, and the balance of exports and imports was still down by six and a half billion so i'm not a big fan of the way that the german statistics whenever mention this they type out their numbers in a very odd manner uh, they mentioned here pharmaceutical products which are the most important trade exports the machinery exports they mentioned here fell by more than half down 51.6 percent the chemical product exports fell by 43 percent and the exports of pharmaceutical products, although, rose by 17% due to higher prices. So that was the most important exported good to Russia in 2022. And then obviously the big one, oil and natural gas. So they mention here, the most this is you know natural gas and crude oil are the most important imports from Russia in 22 with a value of around 18 and a half billion down 5% compared to 2021 oil and gas imports fell by 47.4% in terms of volume so nearly half of the oil and natural gas they're receiving from Russia in one year time span crude oil and natural gas worth one and then this is 1 billion right around there delivered from Russia to Germany in the first quarter of uh, 2022 I believe that's what they're attempting to say here imports fell to two and a half billion euros they mentioned the eighth eighth end quarter which I'm assuming is probably the fourth quarter to 3.3 billion so the second most important imported good from Russia were typically just petroleum products that value more than doubled compared to 2021 to 5.5 billion. It's up 100.9%. The volume is up 100%, but the, sorry, the, <laughs> the value is up 100.9%, but the volume only increased by 2.9%. 
So that tells you again that there is some massive discontinuity. There's some anomalies. There's not really just anomalies, but there are some just discrepancies in the trade balance for a lot of these goods. And they mention here again with uh, this is the import of metals, where they say they say here the trade value of about four and a half billion, up zero point one percent in value terms, but down forty six point four percent in volume terms. So they're essentially paying the same or double for half the goods. So consider that when you're looking at GDP, consider that when you're looking at economic data from countries, since not every country breaks it down between value and volume, <clears throat> the United States, anybody, but this is important because it gives you an insight that, yeah, the prices may be continuing to rise it may look on the surface that oh trade's the same we're still paying the same thing we're actually paying more or trades expanding but if you look at these metrics in volumetric terms they're falling so that gives us more insight to why why are the german investors why are foreign investors why is the german bond market so inverted when it's not supposed to be well, I think it's fairly simple in reality because investors, foreign and domestic alike, are looking at these economic and trade data in Germany and saying the German economy, the German people, German producers, German industry, they're paying the same or more for half the goods. That's unsustainable on an economic basis. And we also have the United States attempting to siphon off industry, factories, manufacturing capacity from Germany, and then energy. Well, the Germans can no longer afford or no longer receive cheap and affordable energy from Russia. Sanctions, so on and so forth, you get the picture. Nord Stream, where we mentioned before, both the Germans and the French were complaining that the United States was exporting natural gas at three times the price that they were getting it from the Russians. And they called it, in essence, you could say some type of manipulation because the, if the U.S. was the only game in town, they could set the price they wanted to. But there's a lot more complexity to that specific issue. And that's where, again, I find the report on Nord Stream rather interesting. But this is the state of not only the German economy, I just wanted to mention the German economy specifically because it is still the most important amongst the European economies. And by looking at the German trade, you can also sort of extrapolate some of this data and information into the rest of the global economy because Germany is a very large trading country. So, for example, you get to see that, well, we're not seeing the reopening trade from China, at least for Germany. And same goes for Japan, although we didn't cover Japan today. But Jeffrey Snyder has recently covered Japan. I highly recommend watching his coverage of specifically China and Japan. 
But this all is to sort of get to the point back to what we've discussed prior and what seems to be this sort of overriding feeling and at least my assessment here at home, soft landing. We hear a lot about soft landing, but it seems to me at least in the global economy on the scale of the Germans, doesn't seem like a soft landing is going to be very possible here unless something dramatically changes and the war is ended and we figure that out, but I highly doubt that will be the case. So as we move forward into 2023, into the second quarter, as we get closer to that period, what I'll be looking at is continuing to watch the German economy. Because it is a good metric and a good barometer for not only the European economy as a whole, but the global economy, since we are, again, globally integrated. So that is all that I have for you all today. Thank you, as always, for listening. And we will catch you all on the next one. Bye.